it. Amen. We have a lot to rejoice about, even though there are some of us who are going through test and trial, temptation. There are those of us who are struggling through circumstance and situation. We do have a lot to be thankful for this morning. We have the Lord to our God. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost and a promise of eternal life with Him. We have all the resources of heaven at our disposal. Amen. We have a lot to rejoice about today. My worst day serving God is better than my best day without Him. I heard that when I first started coming to church, and I thought that was a bit of an exaggeration. That, yeah, it's it's better, but surely it's not like that consistently. But having lived for God a few more years now than when I first came to the Lord, I can say that it is altogether true. It is altogether true. It's not that life is any better, that circumstances have changed in my life, but I have a help now. I have a strength now that I didn't have before. And the Bible promises that when we come through trial and temptation, we're not going to come out empty-handed. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, it says that they spoiled the Egyptians. They came out with great substance. And I think that's the will of God for us as well, that when we come out of a, a trial or a test or a temptation, we're not coming out empty-handed. The situation isn't simply done and over with. But the Lord provides for us substantially through that test and that trial. He gives to us what we need. And so, as we stand this morning, we're going to call out to the Lord. <laughs> we're going to thank the Lord this morning and rejoice in the God of our salvation. He has provided so wondrously for us and so gloriously all of our needs. Sometimes our desires. Amen. I want us to continue to remember those in our congregation that are hurting this morning. There are those that are hurting, those that are going through situations, nightmarish situations. I'm also going to ask that uh, you pray for my family. I don't say that lightly. There are so many other needs in this congregation, but as the Lord brings it to your remembrance, remember my family as well. This congregation, this city, God has so much in store for all of us. He has given us this land. It is His desire that we possess it. This good land, flowing with milk and honey. Praise God. If we can stay focused, if we can stay attentive unto the Lord our God and do all that he desires. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You're a wondrous Savior. I am so thankful for you, for your so great salvation. The miracle of salvation, it never dulls, it never, 
It never loses its luster to me. The fact that you suffered on a cross, that you spilt your blood in my place, the just punishment of my sin was paid by you. It was paid by you when I hated you, when I was your enemy. You loved me. Hallelujah, Jesus. And I could love you, and I could love others, and I could love myself because you first loved me. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for the, the plans. I am so thankful for the future that you have in store for us as a church, as families, as individuals. Those that are going through trials, I pray, O oh God, that you would undergird them with strength this morning, that you would encourage them in the Lord their God, that you would cause them to prosper in these situations, and that you would not only deliver them, that you would not only give them victory, but that they would come out with great substance, that they would spoil their enemy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am thankful for what you have in store for us this morning. This is your service. We turn it over to you this morning to do all that you desire, that all of your heart, all of your will would be manifest in our service this morning, that your great and precious name would be glorified in our midst. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. We're continuing this morning in our study of the New Covenant. And uh, today we're going to be looking specifically at the Beatitudes. Last week we uh, sort of told you to bring that handout back with you. Uh, I hope you did. If not, that's my fault. Uh, because there's, a, there's an outline that I put in the back of that, that handout, uh, kind of outlining the entire uh, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, that may prove helpful, hopefully. Uh, not, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, but today we're going to be focusing on the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12 says this. This is after Jesus ascended the mount. The people kind of gathered around him, and he began to, to teach the people, saying this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. Now again, the similarities between the receiving of the Mosaic Law and the receiving of Jesus' new covenant on the Mount of Beatitudes, is almost uncanny. Mankind in both accounts ascended a mount to meet with God. 
And there, once they've met with God, they receive from him a new covenant, a new way of dealing with his people. When they received the law, they went back down and implemented it, started living according to that. In our lives today, before we get into the Beatitudes proper, it's important to understand as Christians that the Word of God is is not simply a book to know. It's not simply a book to memorize, although we need to know it, and we must certainly memorize Scripture. But it is so much more than that. It is something that we have to apply. It is something that we have to do. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Happy are ye if ye do them. Brother Demuth, it's an action verb. It's something that we need to accomplish, that we need to do, that we need to apply in our lives. Church. Church is not simply singing a few songs, praying, doing some Bible studies and going home. Church is quite a bit more than that. When we say have church, it's quite a bit more than that. As children of God, we ought to be inputting into the service. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance. We need to be inputting. We need to be putting into the service. If we want something out of it, we need to be putting into it. And I've done both sides of this equation. So I know what I'm talking about. I know you do too. I have sat there with my arms folded and dared the preacher to move me. I've been that guy. Not a whole lot, but I can be honest in the house of God. I've been there at least once. Ish. And I've been on the other side of the equation. Worshiping God. Pushing into the presence of God. Striving to enter in. And I can tell you, I got a little bit more out of the service, amazingly enough, doing that than I did with my arms crossed, daring the preacher to move me. Now, of course, it's always our choice. Do you need something from God? Do you want something from God? If you do, that's the way to do it. In a church service, we ought to be, and as the people of God, another reason we need to be pushing the service forward is because there are those in our congregation that can't. When we have visitors, when we have new converts, they may not always be able to do that. Babies aren't interested in stuff like that. They're interested, I'm hungry. I'm wet. Right? We've all been there. When I was a new convert, I wasn't really interested in spiritual warfare and praying for other people. I had needs of my own. Who's going to meet my needs? 
It's not evil to be like that. It's just immature. <laughs> I was a baby. That's what babies do. So, as we go through these studies, understand that we're here for, for more than just hearing a, a message. We're, we're here for more than just singing some songs. Having church is quite a bit more than that. It's application. We need to be applying. We need to be doing. We need to be acting. Demonstrating what the Word of God teaches. So they received the Word of God and they began to enact it. They began to do it. The difference is, in this particular case, this new covenant emphasizes internal spiritual qualities versus the external qualities of the Old Covenant. Again, under the Old Covenant, there was no way for God to write His law in our hearts because our spirits were still dead. The only way this spirit could be regenerated is through the finished work of Calvary, receiving a new spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, which couldn't happen until Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. So under the Old Covenant... We had external qualities. <clears throat> By way of analogy, if you look at our society today versus a hundred years ago, our police force is multiplied many times. Why is that? Because they need more jobs. No. That's not why. We have more crime. Why is that? It was the original founder's intent for this country to enact something called self-government. Now, that didn't mean that we had elected officials. That's not what they meant by self-government, that we would govern ourselves. That we knew that something was wrong, so we just wouldn't do it. We don't need someone else coming over and telling us, hey, you broke the law. Did you know you were speeding? Did you know that that was wrong? Uh, no. Well, yeah, you did. You know it was wrong. But we think we can get away with it, so we do it. And that's the pervading, prevailing idea today. If I can get away with it, it's okay. That's not okay. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And we need to have enough discipline as Christians as children of God, to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate in that because it's wrong. I don't need a cop to come and tell me that it's wrong. Our society does. That's why. So understanding that... I have no idea where I was going with that. <clears throat> Maybe it was free information. All right. So anyway, we need to govern ourselves. Amen. Oh yeah, yeah. I know where we was going. Okay. <laughs> under the old covenant, under the old covenant, we can't do that. We can't do that because the law's not in here. So we had external laws. We had people governing ourselves externally. Someone else coming and telling us, this is wrong, don't do this. The sacrificial system, if I sinned, I had to go, I had to take my sacrifice all the way through camp 
to the tabernacle. Everybody knew what the sacrifice was for. Everybody knew what I did now. I don't want that. I don't want everybody to know what I just did. So I'm not going to do it. If I do do it, now i got to parade all this all through camp and everyone knows my business. There was an external enforcement of God's law. It's the only way it could happen because, again, our spirits were dead. We didn't have the, the, the capability of living up to God's law. Jesus is telling us here in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a time soon coming, you're going to have that. The law is going to be in here now. It's going to be an internal quality. You'll be able to govern yourselves now. You'll have the power to live righteously. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. In other words, He gives you both the desire and the ability to please Him. Don't think for one minute that that's coming from you. It may feel like it. It may look like it, but it ain't. It's coming from God. God's Spirit in you is giving us the desire and the ability to live for Him, to please Him, to do those things that are pleasing in His sight. That's what this new covenant provides. Okay, the Beatitudes. The righteousness of the Pharisees could never attain these spiritual results. All through the Sermon on the Mount, we kind of see either directly or allusions to the Pharisees' teachings. Now, the Pharisees, in the minds of the people at least, was the highest standard of righteousness. The Pharisees represented to the common man the highest standard of God's righteousness. They were looked up to as righteous people. And according to Scripture, from what we read, they didn't pass up an opportunity to let them know. To remind them, that's right, I really am righteous. I pray three times a day, I fast, I give, all of these things. Jesus tells us that if that's all you got, you're not going to make it. If that's the highest you can get, my standards are quite a bit higher than that. That's the bad news. The good news is, I'm going to help you get there. <clears throat> so the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was not going to be enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We would need something more. These results that Jesus teaches can only come from one who is properly related to God through faith. When one has placed their complete trust in God, when we accept and receive the finished work of Christ at Calvary, when we receive that and start living according to that, we, we obtain power to live righteously. We're clothed with His righteousness. He details the spiritual nature of the Beatitudes the emphasis is on the inner man, not on external circumstances. The only part 
of the Sermon on the Mount that we hear about external circumstances is, uh, well, of the Beatitudes anyway, is verse 11 through 12, where he talks about being persecuted. But even here, the emphasis is on our spiritual response to that, not the act itself. The Beatitudes does not tell us how to act. It tells us how we ought to be. And that's a difference. That's a huge difference. The Old Testament told us how to act. Jesus is telling us here how we ought to be. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, we're going to see that all through here, means happy or fortunate. It's a good thing that this is happening. It's fortunate for you. Poor in spirit is one who consciously depends on God, not themselves. We understand that we have no ability in ourselves to please God. We are utterly dependent on Him. And we realize that we are completely and totally dependent on God for all things. We acknowledge that. It's not weakness to do that. It's simple fact. It's like stating it's not raining outside right now. I'm thankful for that. I'm not weak to say I don't want it to rain. If that is weakness, then, man, I'm the weakest man around. I don't want it to rain. But it's not weak to say that I'm dependent on God. It's a simple statement of fact. It's not ego that God wants us to praise Him. It's a simple statement of fact. He is glorious. He is awesome. We're not, we're not puffing up his ego. We're not giving him a big head. It's a simple statement of fact. We are dependent on God for all things. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means we will come to possess God's kingdom on earth and become heirs of God's kingdom in heaven. Again, when we realize that we are completely dependent on God, that we are hopelessly dependent on Him for all things, He opens the storehouses of heaven and makes them available to us. We have no resources of our own. When we say, God, we're needy, we need your help. He delights in that. And He comes running with everything He has. The kingdom of heaven is ours at that point. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn in this context means to recognize our needs and call out to God who can and will meet those needs. Not only do do we realize that we're needy and we're dependent on Him, but He's the only one that can meet our needs. Again, it's like a baby crying out when they're hungry. I have a need, and only you can meet it, God. The more we can transition to that state of mind, the less we can start thinking, well, I can take care of this. Because, you know, it's uh, the busier I get, we're all busy. Okay, 
That's just the, the way it is in the United States. We're all busy. But the busier I get, the easier it is for me to start thinking, I'll just put that on the checklist and deal with it later. I'll take care of that. Because that's, that's easier and quicker than spending some time in prayer. Of course, we understand it's not quicker, and it ends up being a whole lot harder. But the thought of the moment is, I got all this stuff I got to take care of. In this day and age, we need to prioritize things. We need to make God a priority in our lives. And the busier we get, the more time we need to dedicate to prayer. The more time we need to give to God. God can work all of that out. I can't remember if I told you uh, my experience transitioning out of the army, but I'll, I'll shorten it up. God wanted me to do something and I didn't want to. <clears throat> He wanted me to stay there in Fayetteville. I wanted to come home to Eau Claire. I hated Fayetteville. So anyway, uh, being honest, I, I didn't like that town at all. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to go home. I tried to out-process. Nothing worked. Everything was closed. I'd miss appointments. Stuff would be dirty or ripped, and I didn't see it until I got to the inspection area, so I had to go back and take it. Everything was going wrong. Everything. Finally, I got so frustrated and so exasperated, I told God, fine. <clears throat> if you, <laughs> I didn't say I would stay, but I told him this. I need to go home. I already promised my parents that I would be coming home. But I will come back here if you'll get me out of the army. Get me out of here. About four days later, everything was done. All of a sudden, everything worked out. It just worked out. Things just flew. And uh, so, yeah, if we'll give it to God, if we'll remain obedient to Him, do what He wants us to do, He takes care of everything else for us. I've experienced that firsthand, and it was pretty cool afterward. Afterward. <clears throat> so God takes care of our needs. If we'll give them to Him, we shall be comforted. Matthew 5 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek means to be humble, gentle. Meekness is not weakness. You've heard that before. Actually, to be meek demonstrates spiritual maturity and strength. Meekness simply means that we know our position in God's kingdom, and we're okay with that. We're comfortable with it. We're doing that. Wherever God has assigned us, whatever place that we're supposed to be, as being fitly framed together, we're doing that, and we're okay with that. That's what meekness means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm a dumb guy, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, nobody loves me, you know, I, I can't do anything. That's not what meekness is. The Bible says of Moses that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And if you look through some of his dealings, 
He wasn't like that. He wasn't like that at all. He, uh, he was in charge. People recognized he was in charge. God put him in charge. And he, he was comfortable with that. He didn't exceed his authority. He gave God free reign. But yet the Bible says that he was the meekest man. Oh, I do have it. Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Only someone who's spiritually mature can do that. Can be comfortable with where God puts them. And that position may change as you mature. As God puts into your life. As you grow. God will generally give you more authority. Because he'll give you more responsibility. Those that want authority right away... They generally don't want any of the responsibility that comes with that. In every case, in every case that I can read scripturally, you're going to receive the responsibility first. With that responsibility, you'll receive a commensurate level of authority. That's why you have the authority, is to take care of the responsibility. Not so you can lord it over people, not so you can tell people what to do, but so you can discharge faithfully the responsibilities that God has given you. And that's it. That's all that's for. They shall inherit the earth. To those who demonstrate their acceptance of the position God gave them and fulfill it, God will cause them to inherit positions of great authority. Matthew 23.12 says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. As you prove yourself faithful in little things, God will put you over great things. And that is something else that uh, we don't always comport with or are comfortable with. We got all these abilities doesn't God know that? I should just, I should just start evangelizing. I should just start, start a church somewhere. I should just do this or do that. I've known a couple people personally that have had incredible, amazing talent, ability. I'm not joking. These guys were phenomenal. And they knew it. And so they would just kind of hop around until they found a, a pastor that would give them free reign. And they got free reign. And they became a dumpster fire. Their lives became a train wreck. They weren't ready for it. They weren't properly prepared for it. They... I hate seeing that because as much as I didn't get along with this guy in particular, 
<clears throat> he had so much to offer the kingdom of God. He could have done so much for the kingdom of God. So much. But now he never will. Simply because he was promoted ahead of time. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. To hunger and thirst after righteousness means those who acknowledge that they are unrighteous and condemned before God, and so have an intense appetite and desire to be righteous like God. We understand, as we're telling God that we are desperately needy, that in myself there is nothing good. There is no good thing in here. Not without God. I acknowledge that before God. Without you, I am depraved. I am unrighteous. I am without hope. When I confess that to God, He clothes me with His righteousness. He takes away my filthy rags. God satisfies me by clothing me with His righteousness. What a beautiful thing. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. To be merciful, those who forgive others, who do them wrong, because they understand the debt of mercy they owe God. Now, we could stay here for a while. It is so important to understand this. And it is so hard to apply it. When someone has done us wrong, especially when we were right, it is hard to forgive that person. It really is. If I don't remember the debt that God forgave me from, if I don't remember where God brought me from, that parable of the guy that was forgiven 10,000 talents, and he couldn't forgive a guy a few bucks. It can't be us. The parable goes on to say that he reapplied that debt. 10,000 talents and threw him in prison until he could pay every penny of it. I can't pay that debt that he forgave me of. You can't pay the debt. We will spend eternity trying, but we can't do it. We'll never pay that debt. God has already paid it. He's forgiven us. He's forgiven us. And he's righteous. And he's holy. And he's just. He has every right to judge me. He has every right to condemn me for what I've done. But he didn't. He forgave me and he loved me. How can I do less to someone else who owes me a few bucks? I am unrighteous. I am unholy without God. How can I not forgive this guy? And again, that preaches well, sounds good, amen, until we have to do it. <clears throat> That's a lot of scripture, isn't it? 
application sometimes is so very hard. That gives us opportunities to grow. We have got to apply these things because they are right. Scripture is right. And what I'm feeling at the moment, it might be real, but it's wrong. It's wrong. Scripture is right. I have no right to withhold forgiveness from anyone. When I forgive them, I will obtain mercy. Jesus will forgive me. That's the actions of a just and righteous God. He's not doing this out of spite because he's mad at me now. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, I can't be forgiven. We have got to forgive. Why do we forgive? Because Jesus forgave us. That's the only reason I need. Because Jesus forgave me. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. Those who are pure on the inside through faith in Jesus Christ and who continue to be on guard against their old nature. In other words, we're talking about holiness. We're talking about holiness. Now, holiness differs from standards. I'm not talking standards. Everybody has their ideas and heated opinions on standards. We'll talk about that some other time. I'll anger someone. Can't please everyone, right? <laughs> That's right. That's what makes this so fun. All right. But holiness. I think we can all agree on holiness. Inward holiness is something that is commanded. I am living in a manner pleasing to God. It is my inward desire to do those things that please God. Whether they're commanded in Scripture or not. If I know something pleases Him, that's what I want to do. I don't need a commandment from the Lord to do it. I'm doing it because I understand it pleases the one I love. It pleases the God that I'm serving. If I live in that way, I will see God. Only by being washed in the blood of Jesus can we become clean in God's eyes. Only then can we enter into His presence, into the presence of a holy and a righteous God. When I am clean, when I am doing what I can to please Him, to live for Him, to submit to Him, I can enter into His presence boldly. I can enter his, in, into His presence understanding that He has made me clean. He has given me free access to His presence. That's a good thing. That is a beautiful thing. Because again, there was a time in all of our lives we couldn't do that. We did not have access to the presence of God. The veil was not yet rent for us. But today it is. And He bids us come. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
Peacemakers. You're not one who's always arguing, striving for their own viewpoints or agendas, but who can give place to others. We strive to be at peace both with God and with their fellow man. Now again, this doesn't mean that you just roll over and sow your belly every time someone presents a counter-argument. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you're not pushing your own agenda to the exclusion of everything else. There are other viewpoints that are equally valid. Maybe ones that are superior to yours. I'll let you think about that for a moment. I have to think about that. There are viewpoints that are equally valid to mine. Some of them are superior to mine. That's why I'm so thankful for a church board, a leadership team. I can bounce ideas off you guys. I can receive counterpoints. I need that because... Well, the UPCI doesn't have a Pope. None of us are infallible yet. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, continue to receive those things. So we do get a Pope, and I, I am infallible. <laughs> okay, well, I'll run that by you next year. We'll see if anything's changed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. They shall be called the children of God. Jesus was never flustered. He was never nervous. He was never worried. He was always at peace, even in the midst of conflict and strife. When someone when someone challenges us, it's easy for us to to kind of get an adrenaline rush, to get defensive. But we ought not be like that. We ought not be like that. It's okay for someone to challenge us. It's okay for someone to disagree with us. As long as everyone stays respectful and you know, we don't raise our voices or anything like that, it's okay. <clears throat> We're at peace with one another. We'll be called the children of God. There's never a moment in our lives when we need to worry or stress we don't have to fight for our own rights or our own personal opinions. Our rights have been forfeit. We have no rights in Jesus Christ. We are slaves to him. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought not fight for our rights. The Lord Jesus Christ fights for us. We don't have to worry about our rights. Amen. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you will live righteously, the world will hate you, just as it hated Jesus. You're going to lose this world with its sinful temporal pleasures, but you will gain heaven with all of its pure eternal pleasures. James 4.4 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There are no neutral ground, there is no neutral ground, there are no, uh, neutral stances here. You're either on side A or side B. Choose. The choice is yours, but choose. There is no middle ground here. You're not going to live for both. 
Matthew 5 and 11 says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you. Shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Jesus experienced this during his trial, his crucifixion. The world and those in the world will do this to you in some form, fashion, or other. Expect it. Don't be surprised when it comes. If you experience this, the Bible says that we're blessed. God sees what you endure for his sake, and he will be there with you, comforting you, blessing you, strengthening you. John 16.33 says, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. These things will happen to us. I can only predict if things stay the same, they'll be worse and worse. But God has overcome the world. And we need to shift our our line of, of reasoning, the way that we think about things. We think of thing, these bad these trials as bad. We think of blessings as good. Did you know it could be the exact opposite? Sometimes when people receive a huge financial blessing, that's the biggest trial of their life. I'm serious. Now they don't have time for church anymore. They're busy managing their portfolio. Looking at new cars, new houses, taking vacations. That can be the biggest trial of someone's life. And some awful situation that another person is going through, that could be the biggest blessing of their life. God can reveal themselves to someone in that situation in ways not, not otherwise possible. Do things in their life through them that are not otherwise possible. We need, to, we need to change the way we think about these things. Jesus says that we are blessed in this situation. We are to rejoice in the midst of persecution, test, and trial. Acts 5.41 says, They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Because Jesus suffered shame for me. He most surely did. How can I expect to do anything less? If God asks me to suffer shame for his name's sake, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to enjoy it. I may not even like it. But I will do it. I will go through it for him because he went through it for me. If we go through these things, we're in good company. Hebrews 12.1 talks about a Great cloud of witnesses. We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What witnesses is he referring to? The ones referred to in Hebrews 11. Those great men and women of faith who endured test and trial. Who lived in caves and dens of the earth of whom the world was not worthy. That cloud of witnesses. Because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. All of these things that we accumulate, accumulate to ourselves, not just stuff and things, but mental baggage that we collect to ourselves. 
that hinders us from doing the things God wants us to do. We need to set those things aside. We need to get rid of them. God doesn't want them as, as a part of us. He doesn't want us carrying those things. There are things He wants us carrying, but not those. Burdens that He's placed on us. Burdens that have been transmitted to us by Him. Those things we ought to carry. Not these things that we collect of ourselves. Amen. So the Beatitudes are, as many people have said, attitudes that we ought to be. We need to allow Jesus Christ to transform us inwardly so that we're not simply acting something out. But this is who we are. This is who we are by nature. Children of God. That we identify with Him. His character. His precepts. That they're written in the table of our heart. We can self-govern. We have the power. We have the desire to do that. Amen.